I consider success is having the experiences, the knowledge, and the finances to give a perspective that's taken seriously. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. So this week, y'all, we got a very special guest, a good friend of mine, a brother from another, a stand-up comedian, <laughs> and an all-around good, uh, good guy. I want everyone to say hello to Michael Calvin Jr. Michael, say what's going on. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, my man. I'm allowing you in a second here to introduce yourself and share who you are, what you do for a living, and just something about your story. But first, let me share how you and I originally met. So, Michael, Mike, we known each other for about, shoot, I think we met like 2012, because I was still boxing. I was still fighting when we, when we first met. I had just had my, I think, second or third pro fight, second pro fight when we first met, I think. That would be 2012, so dang, man, we're, we're approaching the 10-year mark. Wow. <laughs> and, wow. And, and you and I met in a, in a Bible study. Yes, sir. So we, we had, we had, our Bible study was lit, dude. We had one of those Bible studies like where everybody was broken, but everybody was trying to fix it, fix themselves. There's, there's a judgment-free free zone because we couldn't judge nobody because we are worse than last dude. That spoke, so it just got worse and worse. But you know, we we saw each other grow, we saw each other just reach new levels. I saw you overcome a lot of things. I know you saw me overcome a lot of things. That group was really strong. You guys were all there for me when my niece died. Like having that support system was huge, and like we formed a real brotherhood, man. So that's about as far as you and I go back, approaching ten years now. Want to take time and share with the people listening, the listeners, who you are, what you do for a living. And just some of what drives you. Okay. Um, yeah, clearly, man, uh, like uh, Peyton said, man, I met uh, Peyton right around nine years ago um, as part of uh, my brother's keeper in a Bible study group. Um, uh, in that nine years, uh, I recently, just last month, celebrated uh, eight years without a drink of alcohol. So speaking of some of the... Uh, Amen. Speaking of some of God's uh, blessings, while uh, me and Peyton have known each other uh, within the nine years we've known each other, I've had uh, eight clean years without a drink of alcohol. So I want to go ahead and give a shout out to God for doing that. Um, as far as my personal story, um, <clears throat> my name is Michael Calvin Jr. I'm a stand up comedian. I've been a stand up comedian uh, for the last uh, since 2006 was the first year I got on stage. Uh, 2010 was the year I made the commitment to just do comedy. Uh, and 2021, um, 11 years later, um, I'm happy to say that in that time, I've uh, built a brand for myself. I've built my own comedy show. I've grown several different comedy shows. Um, the one I'm most famous for is a Say Aloud comedy show going on eight years at Laughs Unlimited. It's a show that helps comedians who aren't working at the club uh, get work at the club. So it's not a competition. It's an audition. 
meaning that more than one comic can get picked. Um, there isn't any rhyme or reason. You just got to come in, be funny. And if the owner likes you, uh, then a paid weekend is in your future. Uh, I think I'm at like 60 comedians that she has on the regular roster now. So, I mean, and to the point now where if you want to break the roster, you actually have to be exceptional. Like she's no longer looking to just fill the club. Like you got to be very, very good. Hey, that's really so, cool uh, what you're doing, man. And what was the other thing? No, no, that, that's good. Thank you, that's brother. Good. Appreciate that. No, that's awesome what you do, man, especially, you know, giving back, helping comedians get started and get their foot in the door. I know it can't be easy getting on stage and knowing how to even approach the situation. And we'll dive in that a little later. But this is a podcast all about money and people's overall mindset around money. I think it's scoped from a young age, from what they see at the household. So let's go back there, Mike. Let's go back to talk about what, what was money like in your household growing up? What did you see? Uh, of course, those that mindset can always be changed, but that's where those cornerstones get put in place. So let's talk about that. Uh, growing up, um, it, it depends. Um, my, uh, I'm, I'm a product of uh, a teenage pregnancy. Uh, my, my parents were um, 18 and 16 when I was born. Um, however, my father joined the military. Um, so I've always lived in a structured environment. Um, although, so it was really hard to notice financial issues because, um, I don't recall lacking anything. I just know that there were certain things that I wanted that were too expensive. But I, but as far as growing up goes, um, we didn't really talk about money in my family on my father's side. Like on, on my father's side, money wasn't really discussed. Um, on my dad's side of the family, the, it's a little different because on my dad's side, it's all guys. Like I have two uncles and one aunt on my dad's side. So on my dad's side of the family, it's real, um, like the men are providers, they take care of their family. Like I don't really have a lot of men that struggle on my dad's side. Whereas on my mom's side of the family, it's all women. So like I've lived on the other side where when I'm with my mom, I see what it's like to be like a, a housewife or like a working wife or like a single mother, for example, because <clears throat> one of my aunts was married and was a full-time worker. Uh, my mom worked for the correction, worked for the Department of Corrections for a little while before she had some issues. Um, and then my aunt was a housewife. So she um, so I got to see both sides. Like I got to see when I was with my mom's side, I got to see what money did for the family. And then when I was with my dad's side of the family, I saw the importance of being a man that had money because your family needs you to do something. So okay. that's more or less what I saw growing up. <clears throat> um, but money specifically wasn't really discussed unless I was with like my mom or my aunts because they were normally the ones that were in need of money for something be it to feed us, buy clothes, et cetera, et cetera. 
Okay, so you said a lot there, and I think that's a lot of guys in our generation. That's sorry. <laughs> hey, now don't no need to apologize. That's how it was for us. You know, the baby boomers, the men specifically back then, like they didn't talk to us. Like, like they did their they they taught did their own thing financially. They didn't. We weren't yeah. in that. We weren't in that Kool Aid about money. There was there was no talks around this. Like it's either it's there or it's not there. But it has nothing to do with you, kid. You you stay a kid, and so. We, everything majority yep. of the things that we learned, at least in my household and other guests who I've had on, is stuff that we saw because no, it wasn't a conversation. It's things that we witnessed, and like so you saw, so you saw your dad provide and work hard to provide. You saw him do that, have that military structure, especially with that structure. He has that consistency, that stability that comes along with that. So you saw the points of stability, and and on your mom's side, you saw more. We kind of check to check. Uh, and and kind of grinding and seeing that the seeing the needs versus the wants and seeing that the having those prioritized. Did I catch that about right? That is that is exactly correct. Uh, I knew that my dad and my grandfathers were going somewhere specifically to get the money. And when I was with my grandmothers and my mom and my aunts, I was able to see what the money provided for the family. Okay, got it. So were your parents married or are they still married? No, they are not. They uh, divorced when I was about... So they they had a short run, uh, three to four years, and then they divorced. I'm the only kid that they had. <clears throat> but okay. they have other... But I'm the only kid. All right, got it. So... You know, it's interesting seeing both both sides back and forth. Like, it was good for you because you got to experience a lot. And kind of talk to me about how those things you saw, how you've been able to take them into your adult life and what you learned from them and essentially put to practice from what you saw growing up. Your dad working hard and also what it's like doing baths in the check-to-check life. Talk to me about that. One of the things that I learned from my dad is that uh... – you need to always have money coming in. Um, one of the things, uh, and we'll kind of touch on this when we get to the comedy money part of the story. But um, uh, my one of the reasons my father was assistant and would allow him um, the benefit and opportunity to provide for his family within a structured environment. I understood that as a man, I'm supposed to provide for the people that I say I love, right? And when I'm with my mom, I see the benefit of being provided for, right? Like I I see what, okay, he gave you this money and this is how we get groceries and we have food and, you know, I have toys to play with. Like it's, it's different. Um, I'd say one of the biggest differences between my mom and my dad is my mom is an emotional spender. If she feels good, money getting spent, she feels bad, money getting spent, like money kind of money, money, um, money is her emotional support. I guess would be the best way to put it. Like the things that come with me 
give her the emotional support that sometimes she might be lacking. Um, if your emotions aren't right, your finance, your spending can be very erratic because now all of a sudden you're buying things to heal something inside you. No, that, that's big that you're able to pick up on that. And I talked to my clients quite a bit about the mindset around money and the way it's tied to emotions. It might be tied to something that happened to you in your past. And it's very important for people to, uh, I always call it a money purpose plan. You got to give that money a purpose or it's going to purpose itself. And it's important that you have a clear state of what your values are, because if you don't know what your values are, your spending is not going to be aligned with them and you're just going to spend aimlessly. And that's where that emotional spending really comes into play. So it's important to kind of have your spending aligned with your values, having your investments aligned with your values. If you're in that, that boat, you're going to be happy. And it's just kind of stepping back then, realizing what your values yep. are so you're not spending aimlessly. But, uh, you, you know, that's very interesting that you're, true. you're able to pick all that up at such a young age. But uh, let's fast forward a bit, man. Let's fast forward to talking about when you decided, hey, you know what? I want to be a, comedy, a comedian. I want to tell jokes for a living. Talking about when you realize that. <laughs> Um, Um, growing up, uh, well, now that I'm old, I realized that as a kid, man, Eddie Murphy was something me and my dad bonded on. Like my dad was a big, well, not was my dad is a big Eddie Murphy fan. So like growing up, I'm four or five and we're watching delirious. We're watching like, we're literally like I'm watching red leather Eddie Murphy, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm like four years old, like uh, my dad, like dad is, we went to see all the Eddie Murphy movies coming to America, trading places. Like my dad literally would take me to the theater. So <clears throat> I remember uh, Deaf Comedy Jam when I was 12. And I remember that I would stay up late and record it and I would watch it. And then uh, that Monday, I would literally try to, I would pretend to be all of those comics. I would burn, burn, uh, burn, burn Bernie Mac. Like, I ain't scared of you. Like, I was <laughs> all that. Like, I literally. Stand up special. I see a Mike Epps stand up special on HBO. And I'm watching Mike Epps and I'm watching him and I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, I do this every day. Like when I'm when I go to the store, when I'm talking to people, when I do like I literally act like this dude. And <laughs> and I and I'm not, not saying this to belittle the man or try to say that he's like, but literally when I saw Mike Epps, I was like, you know what? If I can be like that, I'm good because like and and here's the irony. I, I actually had the pleasure of having this conversation with my guest and I had to and I made sure that I worded it properly because I wanted him to understand that this was a respect. Yeah, it wasn't but like it wasn't like, like you were Bernie was a god. Eddie Murphy was a god. Yeah, but Mike Epps to me was relatable like what you do is something that 
I feel like, like I, I told him, I, I was like, bro, you gave me the motivation or the whatever that made me feel like you, you, you know what? I can do that. And, and I, 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 oh, I, at the time he took it well because I, I was trying to make sure that he understood that this is coming from a place of love. Like everybody else I saw, I thought I could never do that. But when I saw Mike Epps, I was like, that's you. Like, that's literally what you do on a day-to-day basis. And uh, fast forward to um, 2010, I'm working in the airport, my last full-time job I ever had. Um, I'm working at the airport. Um, I started doing comedy in 2005. So 2000. 2009, I'm working at the airport for tens, Wednesday through Saturday. They flipped my shift. So I ended up working Tuesday through Sunday because it went because it went from working the days Wednesday through Saturday to then I worked the nights. So it was like Tuesday, same schedule. But the night shift flipped up upside down, which meant no more comedy. Now that I was working at night, there wasn't any more comedy. Um, they laid us off. Our department. Uh, if you're in Sacramento, um, the airport is supposed to. They had a thing where the light rail was supposed to take you to the airport. If you go to the Sacramento airport now, there's a part of the terminal where you drive up. And it takes you to a separate terminal. That was originally supposed to be for the light rail to pull up there to drop passengers off to get on the airport, to, well, to get to the airport. However, that land that is around the airport is considered wetland. So it's a federal offense to build anything on wetland. So the whole project was scrapped because of this legal issue. So long story short, my whole department gets laid off, fired. Um, My youngest daughter's mother, my girlfriend at the time, she tells me she's pregnant and it's full go. We're having this baby. I'm thinking to myself, well, I ain't got no job. It's literally now or never if I'm going to pursue this as a... uh, profession as well as a dream and um i was all in so uh we made the agreement that i would be the the uh, at home caretaker of our child and she would work so during the day i was full-time dad at night i did comedy and it was hard because i was broke and i wasn't making any money at all not a dime not a penny I was totally dependent upon my girlfriend's finances to provide for us as a family structure while I was looking to build something. No, I was saying that's got to be really humbling talking about the background that you came from. You shared earlier that you're used to seeing the men provide and then you're, you're sitting there as a man now while you're chasing your passion, following your passion, but you're kind of being dependent, which is hard as I was building my career, I was in the same boat. So I know how humbling that can be. And it's like, you're building something that's gonna, you're building something that's gonna be huge. 
and you know it's going to be huge, but they've got to be able to see that vision too. And no one sees the vision like you because it's in your mind. And, and it's for the guys listening who are in the same boat, it's important that you express that vision to your partner because she's on that boat with you. And if she doesn't know, see the vision, she might think, man, this dude's just doing nothing. So you've got to have her believe in the vision so you can at least get there long enough to where it wasn't manifest. She said, oh, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> yeah. That, no, that... I can honestly agree with that, man, because uh, the relationships I've lost as a result of this were based on the fact that the stuff I had going on in my head, I wasn't able to communicate. Uh, you touched on the fact of um, if you're an amb- if you are a man with ambition, no matter how much you love your lady, no matter how much you know, it's going to eat at you that you can't do the things you want to do for her. And I understand for ladies, it's hard for them to grasp because they're just like, well, but I love you. And da well, like what you don't understand is that I feel like you love a bum and that, and that is making me reject this situation even more because who I want to be, I'm not him yet. And you are attached to the person that I'm trying to let go of. You see what I'm saying? And I've learned that not having that conversation creates problems, but it's hard to talk about feeling less than with somebody who is immediately going to attempt to build you up, right? Good woman is going to, you know, speak life into your soul and, you know, oh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But when you're in the grind, you're like, man, I didn't make enough money. Damn being okay. Like, <laughs> like I'll be okay later. I'll be okay. Like I'll be okay when the goal is finished. Like I don't like nah, until the goal is done. Nothing is perfect. Like your dress is terrible. This food is terrible. Like literally everything. And, and it could be the best of the best. But mentally where I'm at right now is dedicated to the grind. And you can mess around and mess up a good thing because you're stuck in, in, in your head. And that's big, you know, and and it's if you got you got to share that vision with them. And and the thing is, is that by nature, major, most women, the women I come across, they they are supportive. And they want you to be to be who you who you vision. But they if they don't see that person, they they're still going to support you. And the the thing is, is that as a man, and if you really love somebody, you know they deserve better. And that's what eats away at you. It's like they they she deserves better than this. This woman who I love yep. deserves better than what I'm able to provide. And and I could quit this thing and just go with a regular job and provide for her. But for some reason, I can't. Something inside of me telling me, don't do it. I can't do it. And, and if you're not having this talk, she might be thinking like, yeah, I love him. He said he loves me, but he's not providing. And he just keeps chasing this thing. And I haven't seen it manifest yet. That's why those conversations are so important. That is a fact, bro. Because I... In my own experience, I had a person tell me that they felt I checked out. And in my mind, I was like, I never checked out. I was checking on things I needed to fix in me. So 
we could be a better we. And that wasn't, uh, I take full responsibility for not properly communicating that in a better way. But, you know, you live and you, you learn. I mean, when, like you said, man, when you're, uh, your emotions are tied to your finances and just truth of the matter, I can honestly say my lack of finances has always meant more to me than relationship issues because I've always felt that once I got my financial issues out the way, I'll be fully open to whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> like whatever, whatever's on, on your, your, your mind. Yeah, just let me, let me get a couple of coins in my bank and then my ears work better. Like that's <laughs> It's hard to listen when you're broke. <laughs> hey, hey, that's going in the show notes. It's hard, it's hard to listen when you're broke. Michael Calvin Jr. <laughs> but um, <laughs> hey, let's um, let's pause it for a second and hear a word from our sponsors. Hi guys, it's your host and wealth advisor with Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. You know, many times what I do for my client is help them secure the peace of mind of knowing they have enough. You know, as millennials, it's easy to feel like we don't have enough. Enough to secure the financial future we're hoping for and also enjoy our lives now. But that's why one thing I do with all of my clients is what I like to call a money purpose plan. And make sure that their current spending is aligned with what's most important to them. That way they're able to enjoy their life now while they track towards their financial goals. If you're interested in securing your money purpose plan, please reach out to me. You can contact me at my phone, 916-271-1974, or email me at Payton, that's P-A-Y-T-O-N at Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, Finn, F-I-N, dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's get back to the show. Hey, what's good? What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Millennials of Money podcast. I'm here with my guest comedian, stand-up comedian, Michael Calvin Jr., and we're talking about his money story. So, Mike, tell me what it's like, what, what it's like for a comedian getting started. Like, when you okay, I want to be a comedian, I want to tell jokes for money. What do I do next? Let's talk about that. Uh, okay, you want to be a comedian. Uh, first things first, you got to find an open mic. You got to find where your open mic is, and then you got to get on stage. Uh, once you get on stage, start doing your thing. Um, well, I guess I'm giving a general overview. I guess I'll give the personal one. Um, but like I said, man, uh, I saw Mike Epps. Um, I've always been a, a, a stand-up fan. Um one Saturday, a good friend of mine, uh, who was just a black dad, we were just black dads. Like he had a daughter that was in, in a dance class. My daughter was in the dance class. We're, we're black dads. Hey, so, <laughs> so every Saturday we're just talking as black. We're, just <laughs> we're having black dad conversation. At the dance class. <laughs> hey, and so I tell him that, um, right there. I tell him I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> black dads <laughs> so uh, I tell him that I'm interested in, in doing stand up comedy and he's like are you serious and I was like 
yeah, why? And he he's like, bro, I do stand up. He's like, I'm I'm toured with Mo Monique. I've been on the Mo 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 Monique show. Like I work with Gary Owens. Da, da, da. Like and uh, shout out to my boy Steph Steph Doctor Stephen Sanders. Man, shout 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 out to the, to, to uh, Steph. So uh, Steph put me on. Steph told me to uh, get this book called The Comedy Bible by Judy Carter. Basically, an outline of kind of the structure of being a, a comedian, how how you write a joke, how you pursue the, the dream, blase blase. I take I go down to my first show, uh, do the show, what uh, what uh, whatever. It it goes pretty decent. It it was an open mic. Um, so that's how my journey started. Um, usually, when you do open mics, you meet working comedians, like people that are actually in the game. Um, the first show I was ever, ever asked to be on was by a gentleman by the name of Del Van Dyke. It was for $25. <laughs> for a whopping $25. And this was in 2000, uh, 2006, 2007. Okay, so he, uh, positive. Uh, so I do the show. Pause there. So twenty-five dollars okay. in two thousand six is the equivalent of twenty-six dollars today. So <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I was winning. I was big balling. <laughs> so uh yeah, man, he asked me to do the show. 15 minutes, uh, he wanted 10 minutes, he paid me 20 bucks. Uh, ironically, after the, the show, before he paid me the $20, he told me that he had a stand-up comedy class that he was teaching and that uh, he normally charged uh, 100 bucks to get into his class. And normally what happens is you pay for the class and then he had a run with all these casinos and he was like, I'll book you at my uh, casinos. But the cost to get into the class Passes a hundred bucks. He's like, but what I'll do for you is for this one time, all you got to do is pay $20 and I'll let you in the class for free. So I'm doing the math and I'm like, <laughs> so you're going to keep the 20 and pay me $5 for what I just did. <laughs> nah, I'll, I'll, I'll take my money now. So I was like, nah, I'll pass on the comedy class, but I'll take my bread. And <laughs> which ironically was fast talking me um so that was my first that was my first experience in comedy that was my first payment uh a cat tried to talk his way out of paying me for my money but like, it was weird um <laughs> shot, shot, shot out the gun gun uh, <laughs> i always hate telling these stories man because it just well no no i don't if you're shady you're shady and eventually it comes out in the alarm so yeah, Dell was a dude that got over on a lot of up and coming people, and yeah, he he got his in in the long run. So, but yeah, he that's how I started. Um, I knew nothing about how to get paid doing comedy. Um, all I did was go to shows, and then eventually, um, other working comedians started to have a respect for what I was doing. And I got invited to go be on their shows. Like, uh, shout out to Sean Peabody. Sean P, very good dude, helped me. Sean, Sean P 
Troy and Troy Goings were the two guys that gave me the most work when I first started doing comedy. And then Michael O'Connell came into the picture. These were the three guys that kept me on shows that they were doing. Sean P would literally have me take, we would go to Vallejo, wherever. And even if he was just paying me gas money for driving, whatever he got, he always chipped me off something and he would always, and he would always buy us Denny's at the end of the night. <laughs> in 2006, I ate more Denny's than I ever ate. Like prior to 2005, I ate more Denny's in 2006 than I ever did in my entire life. <laughs> but that's where my finances started. Um, I knew nothing about how comedians got paid or what they got paid. I just knew that um, a guy would tell me, hey, if you drive me to the show, I'll shoot you some gas and I'll make sure that you get a chance to get on stage and I'll slide you some, some money. So having a car and a good relationship is literally how I started making money and coming. So that's Not much, but it was like 20 bucks here. Or Go ahead. Let's go there. So how do comedians get paid for the people listening? How are comedians paid? Is it salary? Is it contract? Is it per show? How are comedians paid? All of the above. All of the above. Uh, depending on you are, you get what you negotiate, right? So for example, um, any comedian can make money. Literally, all you got to do is go down to a local bar Ask them, hey, do you guys have a night? There's not much business, blah, blah, blah. I want to do an open mic show. And at that point, it's literally up to you. Um, I'm trying to, I, I, it's an interesting question and I want to make sure that I answer it the right way because if you're a person that was looking to get started, you have to know somebody that's already doing it because what'll end up happening is that Everybody wants to get paid, right? But with comedy, your product might not be worth the money you're asking for. So as a person who books shows, right? I, I deal with a lot of young comedians, up and coming, first timers, and they want to charge me, let's just say, the same thing I, I got for my first show. I want $25 to do a 10 minute, to do my 10, 10 minutes. Well, <clears throat> me personally, if I don't respect your 10 minutes, I'm not going to pay you for it because at the end of the day, I have a show to run and based on, so let's just say that I'm charging $10 a person, right? You want 25. So I have to make five people have to come in for me to be comfortable paying you your 25 because now I'm up and I'm paying you, right? So if you don't by yourself bring in five people, then it's up to me to bring them in, right? So one of the things about your product is, is it valuable? And in most cases, when you're first starting, it's not because you don't know what you're doing. And that is where you can shoot yourself in the foot by demanding money that you aren't good enough for. We'll just call it flat, a flat back. Where you are today, 
trust me, you're going to be better in three months. If you stick at it, where you are in three months is going to be better than whatever you charged a month ago. And the problem is, if I felt you overcharged me a month ago and I didn't like what happened, I'm never going to pay you that amount ever again. So when you start, you literally have to accept that you're not going to get paid. It's a lot like being an intern, right? When you're an intern, there is zero expectation for money. The expectation is to learn everything you need to learn so that you can make a living, right? Whatever it is, be it a electrician, painter, there's always a part where you're not making the money you should be when you're, once you get to a certain level, right? Comedy is the same way. You can't negotiate a contract if I don't know who you are. I'm not going to book you for a weekend at a club if I've never saw you perform and make people laugh. So there's a lot of free work you have to be willing to do just to get your name out there so that you can have something worth paying people for. Uh, so you can build something that's worthy of people paying for it. I like that answer. I've never heard it put to me in that way. Like, you, 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 the perfect relation is the internship. That's a perfect way to kind of share it with other people. Other of our, some of our listeners is like, you've got to walk before you run. People got to know what you do is valuable before they're going to pay you for it. And you could shoot yourself in your foot by charging yep. someone, overcharging someone. So you got to be willing to, hey, let me take some losses to get my name out there. So it's it's an investment myself, just like that internship. So that is, that is a great little uh, metaphor for it right there. I, I like that. It sounds like, and I know you personally, so I'm not going to say it sounds like, I know for your show, the ones you do at, um, at Laughs Unlimited, <laughs> you get paid per head for, for people who come to the show. People, people, how many, how many guests come to the show? Yes, sir. That, that goes to you. That goes in your pocket. Um, yes, sir. So in a job like that, where you're paid on who shows up, your, your, your money goes up and down. You have some really good months and you probably have some bad months. You have some great months, some okay months. So you, <laughs> you got to yes. so yes. adjust your lifestyle to that kind of income. What was that like for you? Like trying to balance your lifestyle financially, <laughs> not knowing how much you're going to make next month or the next several months. Man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what, bro? That's a great question because I literally, I remember... So one of the biggest changes that you make going from having stable income to, to inconsistent income is that you really learn the value of a dollar. They say it takes money to make money, which make money. However, in order to maximize, you will need to put some money in it eventually. So like the biggest thing was learning that when I get money, don't go shopping because there's no telling when I might have it like this again. And now I'm looking at, you know, this new television, but last month's show was trash and now the cell phone bill is off. You know what I'm saying? Now my cell phone is off, but I got a nice TV. So one of the things I learned was how important it was to hold on to the money. 
holding on to the money is the biggest difference between being employed and self-employed. When you're employed, you know, first, fifth, 15th, 20th, every other Friday, every Friday, like, you know, on X day, it's all going to be stacked up and given to you. Boom. When you're out here in the field, you don't know if it's going to stack up. You don't know unless you personally stacked it. You don't know what it is. So you can literally be in a position where I am holding on to this $20 because this $20 could turn into 200 if I use it right versus I'm going to use this $20 to make me feel good because, you know, I'm stressing right now and blah, blah, blah. So like you literally learn how to emotionally, how to tie your emotions into your money. You become more disciplined when you're self-employed because you have to. I don't know when I'm going to have another payday. So I can't just spend money. I need to hold on to money so that I can use this money to make more money. And when you have a job, that's not how you think. You just, you know, ah, well, I get paid next Friday. I just got to power through, get to next Friday. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, you know, I know I work with a lot of guys who are entrepreneurs, business owners, commission, essentially in charge of making their own income and their month to month income varies. Like sometimes they have great months, sometimes they have slow months. And what's important, what's I'd say it's probably one of the most important parts about financial planning. I call it money purpose plan. Some call it a budget. Regardless of what it is, you got to give yourself an allowance of, okay, this is what I can spend each month. This is how much I can spend each month because I know I'm going to at least make this month this much. So that, that means if I have a great month, guess what? I'm still only spending this month this much because it's reasonable. And then you you got to plan. You've got to be proactive. You can't just go month to month and flying by the seat of your pants and think, hey, it came in, it's going out because you're going to, you're going to end up up a creek and have to put your put your passion on pause. So, you know, I can't pursue this. So I got to go hustle. And and that's going to take from the vision. It's going to slow everything down. So it's so important to having some kind of money purpose plan, some kind of spending, some kind of allowance system that allows you to enjoy your life now, but still track towards your future financial goals, which in my mind, that's what financial planning is all about, is having a plan that allows you to enjoy life now and track towards future financial goals. So so here's a, here's a question that just came up throughout our conversation. What's the most shows you've done in one day? Most shows I've done in one year? One day. Oh, in one day. Woo. Um, open mic life, baby. Uh, probably like four, which uh, open mics are basically uh, in the back back in the Bay. They'd have like open like a bunch of little bars that had com- comedy nights. So a lot of these weren't weren't paid shows. They were just shows where other comics were. And uh, on my way coming up, like you were literally that was the highlight of the night It's finding the area or city where there was more than one mic. So you could literally boom, 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 boom. And even if if, if, if you had a bad set, you're like, dude, I'm going to go to this next place. I'm going to get this taste <laughs> out of my mouth. So like, open micing was literally like, yeah, now you get like four, like, especially on the Bay runs, man, then Bay shows like you, once you get, you would literally get to like 
Frisco, you do the Frisco show, you do the Oakland show, cross that bridge, go to San Jose, do the San Jose show, come back up, might stop in Fairfield on the, the way back, and then in the night at Denny's, talk about all the sets <laughs> that, uh, that <laughs> like, so yeah, man, probably like four or five in the open mic days. Yes, sir. That's cool, man. So what what was your most memorable show or most memorable tour? Talking about what that was like. Ooh, Jimmy Earl. Jimmy Earl took uh, me and my boy Javon, man. We went on a tour. Uh, there, there goes the neighborhood. Shout out to Jimmy Earl, man. There goes the neighborhood tour. We were in, uh, we performed in Reno, Vegas. Uh, we performed in, um, the last show was in Phoenix and Mesa, Mesa, Arizona. So we did a, we did a show in Yuba. Then we went to Reno. Then we did, uh, Vegas. Then we did, uh, Mesa, Arizona. Then we did Phoenix and we came back. Uh, man, the trip was crazy. Um, that drive from Reno to Vegas is oh <laughs> We drove it at night, and all I can say, bro, is it's dark. Like the the freeway that takes you from Vegas to Reno, bro, or from excuse me, from Reno to Vegas, because we we were coming down from Reno to Vegas. It is literally pitch black. On the whole through the the signs on the side of the road don't even have light. Like literally, <laughs> we we had to do a bathroom break, bro. Like we pulled over, and we're like, <laughs> as long as we stand away from each other, ain't nobody gonna see us. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, of course, the one time a car finally drives by and it's it's wild because you can see the light as it's coming to you because that's how dark it was. So you literally see the light coming from miles and it's like creeping up on you and then it like drives right past. And then it was like a solar shift. Like it was like, wow, <laughs> it was bright. And then it was <laughs> like, oh, like, it was back to <laughs> but um met some cool people man um got to saw uh how natives lived in arizona they had a uh there's this castle that they have in the hills that was a place where natives lived in the castle it was like a mansion like i'm, I'm forgetting the name of the place but uh it's in arizona and it was like a native it was a native reservation that's been saved and it's a beautiful thing, man. It was basically a castle inside a mountain, and it and it shows how the people were living back then. But it, it it's it was dope. It was very dope. Hey, man, that's got to be shout incredible. out to Jimmy Jim, Jimmy Earl. That was a great trip. That's got to be incredibly oh. fun, man. Just a car full of comedians. My I can't first time in Phoenix. Too. I can't imagine what that's like—a car full of comedians. Yeah. <laughs> Telling jokes the whole time, the whole way through. What's that like, man? You guys just busting up. <laughs> Are you guys funny when you're not on stage? What's it like? You know what, man? It. <laughs> yes, some of the best. Some of the best moments of the show. Some of the best moments of the show are backstage, like just from the talking to each other to giving it to each other to, to like, Hey bro, you did terrible out there. <laughs> like just 
just there, there's a whole lot of stuff going on back there to where one guy will come backstage and be like, hey, bro, plaid shirt is a dick. And so now for the rest of the show, we're like, oh, really? Where's plaid shirt? So then we get on saying like, ah, there he is. And so now you got to pretend you don't know that eventually the Pokemon suit. Like, no, nah, my boy didn't already told me we got to shut you up. So, you know, like now I'm going to now all of us are going to take a shot at you for the rest of the night because you interrupted one of our friends. So it's it or you can get a positive where people come in and they're 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 like, hey, bro, pink dress. She has a, a snort laugh. Make sure you get her laughing because she's going to snort. And it's gonna, so like literally the the conversation that we're having about the crowd is is usually the best part that y'all that you guys aren't privileged to because sometimes man just yeah man like i always like to ask comics hey man are you sure you can follow that man that guy's pretty funny <laughs> some people are like what like, i mean I, I don't know like are you gonna be funny tonight or not like, i don't know <laughs> that, 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 that's funny i would love to see that man that's something that Oh, hey, if if you ever do a YouTube channel, man, I'm sure people would love to see what it's like, the backstage, the tour life, what that's like, man. I I love to see that. But you mentioned one thing, like you guys kind of give each other, clown each other when someone yeah. bombs. What's it like? You ever bomb, man? What's it like when you bomb and no one's laughing? What's that like? It it feels like you're talking to yourself and nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. It feels like you're talking to yourself and nobody cares at all. Everybody's just like, nah, that, 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 that's not interesting. <laughs> yes, I'm bombed. Matter of fact, uh, the show that, um, the show before I went to sign my daughter's birth certificate, I was getting, I got paid to do, 50, I was paid 50 bucks to do a show. I did terrible. Like nobody laughed at all. It like I was supposed to do uh, 20 minutes and boy, that 20 minutes felt like, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I was I was drenched in sweat. Like I was literally sweating and nobody was laughing. And then uh, I remember I got the light, like the light is the sign that you need to wrap it up. And I remember as soon as I saw the light, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I immediately got off stage. And uh, next up was this uh, Indian guy who I'd never met before. His name was uh, Tapan. And uh, boy, Tapan lit me up. Tapan <laughs> got on stage and he said something, something, and he was like, no. He, he, he said, no, you guys are not going to do me like you did the last comic. The last comic, you you guys had him sweating up here like he was the Kimbe Mutombo at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Bro, the room erupted. And all of those people that didn't laugh when I was on stage, oh, they were looking for me and pointing at me like, <laughs> Like literally now everybody knows how to laugh and they are looking for me like, eh, you're the Kimbe Mutombo. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, bro, I just want my money so I can go home. 
<laughs> like I'm having it. Like clearly nobody enjoyed my set. This dude is making jokes about me, and everybody's having fun now. And uh, yeah, man, I went home. I uh, my daughter was just born, and I had to go back to the hospital because uh, uh, my girlfriend and, and her were, were were still there. And uh, the birth certificate came out. You know, my my girlfriend at at, at, at the time, she's saying, you, you know, your daughter's birth certificate's here. You know, you 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 got to sign the birth certificate. And so I'm like, all right, no big deal. You know, sign sign my name, name, address, and then it, occupation, which is on the birth certificate, occupation. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I ain't got no job. I was like, I ain't even working. Like in my mind, I'm thinking like, all right, what's a what's a BS term that I could put together and say, you know, customer customer service rep. Like I was gonna put together something just to put on the on her birth certificate because I the fact that her birth certificate was gonna be with her for life, I was not gonna let my daughter's birth certificate say that her father was unemployed. Like that was not everything about that didn't sit well with me. I was like, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. I'm not going to put unemployed, no job, a line through it. Like, So I'm sitting there and I'm stuck on the occupation box. I'm like, hey, and I get to like, I feel in my pocket and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. I just got paid to do comedy. <laughs> so that means I'm a comedian. <laughs> and, I was, and literally the fact that nobody laughed at the show and all that, like, like it all went out the window because I was like, huh. I was like, they paid me. I told jokes. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm a comedian. So I, what I now know about scripture and life is that at that moment, I wrote it into existence because at that moment, I had no experience as a comedian. I literally just did one show. But as far as my daughter's birth certificate and as far as her life is concerned, I've been a comedian her whole life because, and all glory be to God, but I now un un understand that it's in those small moments that God calls to you. Like God's call is subtle. A lot of people believe that God is going to be like this loud, raging thing. Like it's going to be real apparent. Like, no, it's going to be real quiet. And then it's going to start making all this sense. Like it, it, it's because to this day, when I think about her birth certificate. And I look at where she is now, as far as she's concerned, I've always been doing this, but it was at that moment that I signed that paper that I guess I embraced what I felt I should be doing. Because when I had to look at paper and put pen to paper about what it is that I do, the only thing that felt right was to put comedian because it, because I had just done what a comedian would do. And ironically, me and her mother already made the agreement that this was going to be what I what I brought to the relationship so that we were able to be a family and not have too much out of pocket expenses. So, like. There's a lot in and I'm I'm going off topic, but the, you, God is speaking to me, but just. 
there's power in writing it down and claiming the victory. Because when I look back on that moment, it was very subtle because I was literally confused and I was embarrassed because I didn't know what I wanted to put there. And I knew that I wasn't going to just leave it blank. And to be honest, it wasn't something that was that important. But for whatever reason, at that moment, it was literally like, because the lady came in twice and asked me if I was, if I finished signing the birth certificate. And I was like, nah, because I was still holding my daughter. And I was just kind of, I was kind of putting it off because I didn't want to, I didn't want to put unemployed. And, and for whatever reason, I, you know, I look back on it now and I refuse to put unemployed on her birth certificate. And the only thing that gave me joy was putting comedian. And when I look back at that moment and where my life has become now, it's all God's plan. Amen, man. You shared a lot there. And that, the, the word, the scripture says, petition of your heart, write down. Then I mean, it says, write it down, make it known, write it down. Like you said, you read into existence and you made it happen there, man. And that story gave me chills because that was that still small voice. Like you said, it's not that loud blur that people see in the movies where God's like beaming down at you. It's that still small voice that if you're, aware of and you're coherent too and you make that and you obey you get that sense of peace i can imagine the peace that came with you writing down comedian when like because you knew that's what god wanted you to do man so i appreciate you sharing that man and look to now you are a comedian and let's talk about what that journey's been like man and to, you shared a lot at the beginning i didn't touch on but you said you used to watch comedy shows with your dad and used to see him laugh and I, and I immediately knew, like, that's why he's a comedian, because he saw the joy of the, the, like, the, I used to think I loved boxing. What I loved about boxing was that time I spent with my dad. And it's like, and, 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 and when I look back, like, you and your dad's thing was comedy. You seeing your dad laugh, you realize, oh, he's laughing. I like, I like seeing him laugh. I would like to make him laugh. And that's kind of where those, that got set in stone. So what's that journey been like? for you to get paid to make people laugh, man. How has that been? How awesome is that? Man, I'd, I'll get to that. I want to touch on the dad thing that you just touched on because I, yeah. Like, uh, my dad's a very intense, well, when he was younger, he was a very intense and angry dude. And I remember, like, comedy was literally the one time where I remember like him like being chill and like just laughing and and like I said, man, I'm like four or five. There's no reason I should be watching Ed, Ed, Eddie Murphy, but you, <laughs> as is with all father and son relationships, like boy, come on, like boy, you gonna do what what, what your daddy does? So like, <laughs> so like, so the same thing that you're saying about how you know watching how boxing brought your dad a particular type of joy, like yeah, like seeing my dad happy was something that that yeah subconsciously I guess I've always wanted to do is the joy I would see my father have and I would see other people have or just watching stand up and how this guy made all these people laugh a lot of it ties into the fact that I stutter too right so being a person that stutters um <laughs> this is such a weird thing you have to have 
you have to have a big vocabulary. Like you, you have to have a big vocabulary because in the event you can't say a certain word, you need to be able to say another word <laughs> in the place of it. So say that, for example, are you, th- 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 would you like a drink? You know what I'm saying? I can't say thirsty, but I can switch the, the, the conversation is, would you like to have a drink? You know, do you like water? So your mind is literally based on how many ways can I say what I'm trying to say? Because if this word gets stuck, I need to eat it. So just because I don't want to get laughed at while I'm stuttering, I need to find another way of saying what I need to say. So most stutterers that are outgoing, they have a vast vocabulary just because in your mind, when the word gets stuck, you got to be able to get another one out and you want to keep the conversation going so that it's not focused on stuttering. Like you don't want to make the whole conversation about I'm stuttering right now because then people laugh at you, you get uncomfortable, blah. So I've always admired people that were uh, strong speakers, uh, people that were in front of the crowd and had a good uh a good grasp of the English language, uh, people that were able to like articulate their point of view, even if it was contrary to the masses. Um, excuse me. Uh, the fact that that's something that I can't just do. I think it's something that I've always valued. I valued, um, I value words. I value the meaning of words. I value tone. I value eye contact. Like there are so many things that come with talking that if you don't stutter, you just take it for granted. Like, for example, I don't talk about stuff I don't know about just because in order for me to talk about it, I have to know what I'm talking about just because in case I start stuttering, I need to be able to put another word in here so that this thing flows together and we're not focusing on me stuttering and the conversation is, oh, you can't talk. like, no, I want to focus on what I'm talking about, not the stutter, which most people who don't stutter, they don't have to think before they speak. They just speak like they just speak. It's, it's just burr, 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 burr. there is a conscious effort put into everything I say, because before I say it, there are you know, stuttering techniques. (laughs) I had a a speech therapist growing up, real real life. You know, they teach you, take a deep breath, talk slowly, enunciate every word, take your time. Now, as I'm using my speech therapy techniques, I feel like I'm speaking in slow-mo. (laughs) <laughs> like I literally feel like I'm talking in slow-mo when I use my speech therapy techniques but just the truth is you in order to properly communicate I need to be calm and I need to carefully go about communicating with people so when I look at comedians for people that don't know it looks like they just <laughs> like it literally the great comics make it look like it's just a conversation. It looks like I'm just talking and then boom, joke. I'm just talking, boom, joke. Like it Chappelle's, the Chris Rocks, the Bernie Max, like 
like once you get me laughing, I want more. Like, no, no, no. Let this guy keep talking. Like, and, and that's what a great comic is, is that you don't feel like they're telling you jokes. They're just talking. And then this dude is hilarious. Like I like I keep laughing at this guy, but what he's saying is keeping me interested. And I think that's what makes a great comedian is that they respect the words they use and they know that words have meaning. And uh, as the person who stutters, I believe that it's something that because for what it's worth, for the hour or so I'm up here talking, I can keep the stutter under control. <laughs> or at least bring it out when it needs to be brought out when I'm doing the stuttering. I'll keep it under control. But for the most part, this is a controlled conversation, even though it looks like I'm just, you know, willing about. But it's a very controlled conversation. It's, it's, it's going a specific way. <clears throat> and it all has meaning. Yeah, that, that's a lot. You unpacked a lot. There's so much that goes in the comedy that us as the consumer are not aware of. Like, especially, uh, like you said, the stuttering comic who's thinking about this has to go the certain way or someone gets stuck. I have to have backup worries in case this word gets stuck. So this is, it's a lot more complex. And I, and I got to say, we take it for granted because I had no idea, man. But let's talk about, we're getting close to the end. I got two more questions here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Okay. But yeah. What what's what's comedy like now in a COVID world where people are not coming out? What's comedy like now? How are people seeing comedy? Are you taking advantage of social media? How can people see you? Are are you staying relevant? What's comedy like in this world, brother? Hmm. You know what, man? Uh, it's it's interesting, man, because a lot of people just consider if you can make a person laugh, comedy. So um, a lot of things that, that have been popping up are Zoom shows, like, uh, like what we're doing right, uh, right now. So you'll have people that um, create a platform and then they have Zoom shows. Some of them uh, you, you can pay to watch the show. Some of them are free and then they'll like uh, pass around the cash app at the end of the show. So uh, I'd say that the opportunity to be a comedian um, with each new uh, social media platform that comes out, I mean, you have an opportunity to, to build your audience, right? So the people that follow you, follow you. So the difference, I, the, the good thing about being a comedian nowadays is that you're, you're in more control of your career than ever before, right? You don't necessarily need comedy clubs like, uh, like it was like the 90s, for example, if you have, you know, let's say you have an Instagram, if you got, you know, 10,000 followers, if you put a show together at, let's just say your local, your local bar and you're charging 10 bucks a head, if you get 50 people to come out, that's $500 of your own money that well, that's 500 bucks that goes directly to you that you don't have to, <clears throat> excuse me, wait for a comedy club to give you blah, blah, blah. You can literally go from state to state and collect your own $500 with or however much you make if, if you, you know, you got a venue that sells out, blah, blah, blah. So the opportunity to advance your own career is 
bigger than it's ever been, which also means that the opportunities to get uh, the opportunity to profit off of that is is just as as big. Um, however, the same the same problems. Um, I would say before you start dropping your cash app in in your videos, probably make five or ten of them first, so that people know that this is a thing you're gonna do, and then start dropping it out. Because just truth of the matter, you know, you look it looks. Like a, you look like you're begging, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, give me ten dollars, my cash out, give me ten dollars, my cash out. Bro, I don't even know if you're worth ten dollars. And that's what the conversation with the consumer is. Like, Peyton, I can tell you my comedy's worth two thousand dollars, but if you're like, ten, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So now it's it's and and here's the the thing: both of us can be right. To you, my comedy is worth $10. To the next person, they're giving me $2,000 for it. So the thing is, you got to put yourself in the position to consistently be in those conversations where people are talking about paying for comedy. So that's how you can make a living. But the way uh, social media set set up now, man, if you can get attention, you can make a profit. If you like, I, I said, man, if you've got 10,000 Instagram followers, go live on IG and then just start doing whatever you feel is you being funny and then ask for, you know, hey, leave a donation. So unlike when I started, you might make more than $20 on your first gig. <laughs> I, I, like, I like what you're saying a lot, man. I like what you're saying a lot. And it, it's is that's you've got to take advantage of these situations. Like this thing happened, it sucks. Like a lot of people died. You mentioned before we got on this podcast, 2020 was a great year for you. It's a great yes, year for me too, financially and for my business, because we've got to take advantage of these windows. You know, the the the, the layout changed, the the, the the playing field changed, but hey, I'm still in the game. So let me see mm-hmm. how I can make it work to my advantage. And that's what you can do. Like. By everyone seeing the only way to get together and to see comedy show being virtual, guess what you did? You cut out that promoter. Now you're the promoter. Now you're taking home yep. more money. So you got to figure out how to make that work, man. So yep. I appreciate you sharing that with me, my brother. What the last end of the show, what the end of the show, last question of the show. The last question of the show is the words financial success, they mean different things, to different people. They mean different things to the same people at different times. What financial success was to you when you first were getting started. Is different to what financial success was to you when you're driving down that dark alley in uh, in Nevada. Is different to different than what financial yeah. success is to you today. But it was talking about today, today, 2021. What do the words financial success mean to you, Michael? And I don't mean from a dollar amount. I mean from a quality of life. What does that lifestyle look like for you? A financial success, man. Being the rich uncle and 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 by rich, I mean, from a kid's perspective, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be the uncle whose house you get to spend the night at. I'm the uncle who has, you know, the games that you want to play. I'm the uncle that, yeah, man, get some pizza like that to me is I want to be the successful uncle, the successful brother, the 
the like that to me is what's valuable is that I want to be the uh, I don't necessarily say I want to be the blueprint, but just I consider success is having the experiences, the knowledge and the finances to give a perspective that's taken seriously. I'm not somebody that's just telling you a bunch of things that I've never experienced firsthand. Like I'm giving you valuable life lessons that I use myself and have uh, become a success in my own eyes. And whatever success is in my nephew's eyes, my daughter's eyes, my niece's eyes, my brother's eyes, I want to be the person that helps them attain whatever it is. And that to me is what being a financial success is. I want to have the cash to do whatever I wanted. And I want the free time to do it whenever I choose to do it. So that's what financial success means to me. The time, free time and cash flow. I want cash to do whatever it is I want to do. And I want the time to do it whenever. If I want three in the morning, I want to get on a plane. I want to do it like that. Be it. And just like what you're saying, it's not even a dollar amount. Let's just say I want to go to Vegas at three in the morning and I'm flying JetBlue from Stockton. Like we're talking about a $60. So like, but just having the money to do it is what I consider a success. So there isn't a dollar amount. It's just uh, a lifestyle. Now I got it, man. I appreciate you sharing that, man. It sounds like financial success to you is first, first of all, being one thing that about your whole lifestyle from who you are from the beginning all up until now is you want to be someone that people enjoy. You want to be that rich uncle that the kids want to enjoy being around and they, and they want to, and you also want to be the one who can help people and teach them and show them, listen, I did it like this. So you want to be successful for others. So if I success to you as being that guy yes. who can help lead others to the promised land. And I really appreciate you sharing that, man. You've been an awesome guest. Um, I'm going to leave you. Thank you bro. Let's, let's give yourself a commercial where people can find you. They do want to see some of your comedy in this virtual world. Uh, here you go. Spill it. Ah, uh, man. Um, actually I'm back live, baby. I'll be live, uh, next Thursday, uh, Thursday, February 18th. Laughs unlimited. Say it loud comedy show. We are back. Uh, hosted by Robert Armoto, Jerry Law from Oakland and and Cookie Williams from Stockton, California. I'll be your headliner, uh, excuse me, February 18th at Laughs Unlimited. Um, the show will be outside uh, unless it rains. If, if it rains, the comedy show will be moved indoors. So let's give a little prayer for some rain. And uh, <laughs> But yes, man, wear a mask. Uh, we, we strongly encourage people to wear a mask. Uh, yes, man, uh, please. If, if you're going to go to a live event, please wear a mask. Um, if we're outside, mask optional. If we're indoors, please wear a mask. Keep everybody safe. Uh, I can be found on YouTube, Michael Calvin Jr., uh, Mr. Say Aloud, um, IG, Michael Calvin Jr., all of it. Uh, real name, no gimmicks. Um, <laughs> live, laugh, love, man. <laughs> hey, you've been an awesome guest. I'll leave your information in the show notes. God bless everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. You guys have a great week. 
Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks, and have a blessed week.